Hello everybody, welcome to the Fire Science Show. Today we're gonna talk BIM, that is building information modeling. And I guess half of you are super excited about the topic and the other half has already switched off the podcast hearing this terrifying short uh, letters. Uh, it's a subject that people hate, people love, uh, people like, dislike, but it's very difficult to be neutral about it as it is something that we all are or will be exposed to in future. That's the trend. That That's where architecture is going. That's where civil engineering is going. We will have to deal with building information modeling if we like it or not. So I guess it's great to learn about it and see it through the eyes of an expert. And I brought two great experts here today. First is Pete Thompson with GHB and Movement Strategies. He used to be our guy in Autodesk designing Revit for many years. So he certainly has great knowledge and experience with BIM modeling from the inside. And my second guest is Professor Rino Lovregil, an unknown pineapple and pizza lover. As a lecturer in computer methods in, in civil engineering, he had to go through BIM and now he's torturing his students with it but learning a lot of new stuff as it goes. And I love to learn from Reno about his experiences with BIM. And he's very well known for applying it in uh, serious games like immersed reality simulations they put people through. And that is a really interesting use of building information modeling and actually potential way how this can be very beneficial for buildings in the future. So if you would like to hear what is the definition of BIM or what BIM is, if you have not faced that yet. I guess we, we gave a definition at the very, very end of the episode, but let me just try and briefly introduce you to the concept. BIM is a way that you store information along your drawings in a computer model. So when you draw a wall, it's not just you have drawn two lines that represent a wall. You, you have drawn a wall. If you click on it, on it, it knows it's a wall. It knows what layers it has. It knows what properties it has. It knows its materials. You can change this. You can explore this. Other software can access that. And the best thing, your colleague who's drawing the duct, they know that the wall was drawn and they see it in their model because it's all synchronized in the cloud. And that makes this a very powerful collaborative tool with a huge potential for use outside of just drawing buildings. It has so many uses. On paper, it's beautiful. <laughs> but the reality is a little tougher. And yeah, we're very open to talk about that aspect of BIM. So I guess uh, if you have not switched the episode, good. You're going to enjoy it. Let's spin the intro and jump into the episode. Welcome to the Fireside Show. My name is Wojciech Wingzinski, and I will be your host. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Fire Science Show. I have today two guests who are very willing to talk about the BIM, the next big thing in digital construction, maybe. I don't know. First, uh, Pete Thompson from GHD, who recently transferred there from Autodesk, where he was building Revit, the, the number one tool in BIM. Hey, Pete, great to have you here. Uh, nice to meet you, Wojciech. Yeah, very happy to, to, to have you. My second guest, His Majesty Reno of Reglio <laughs> of Massey University. Hey, Reno, great to have you back in the show. 
Thank you to have you having me back, Wojciech. Yeah, fantastic. And you're making a lot of noise in, in the digital construction space. Uh, so I, I thought you'll be great to have user opinion on BAM. So let's talk BIM. It's an interesting subject. Everyone talks about BIM. I, I don't know how it was uh, for you, Pete. <laughs> Obviously, it was uh, the, the main thing. Uh, but maybe, Reno, for you, like, how did you end up in BIM? In here, everyone talks about BIM. We need to use BIM in the project. We need to move into digital twinning of buildings. We need to have this level, this level of BIM in this project. And and I really failed to understand if people really get what they are asking for. And I also find transitioning into these advanced ways of modeling buildings in computers, including information layer, rather difficult for myself and my team. So so how, how did you start up with, with your BIM journey and where did it br- bring you? So in my case, I bumped into BIM by accident and it was during my postdoc because we were back then developing a virtual reality training tool for earthquakes. Mm-hmm. And one of the technology that was promised to be addressed in this project was the use of BIM. So build information modeling is not just a 3D model. It's much more than a 3D model. It's a 3D model that has many other layers of information. So it's basically a database. And what we did back then is, unfortunately, to use only the 3D modeling part <laughs> of, uh, of BIM to develop the virtual reality scene. And somehow you can see that there are some advantage to use that puff, but we explained why it's not an advantage as well to use it for virtual reality application, mm. because most of the time you don't really care about what is inside a wall in an evacuation experiment, and those information eventually get important in, in the software that you use, for instance, you need to develop your virtual reality scenes, and then you need to spend time to delete all this stuff. On the other hand, it could be good if the BIM is already being developed by someone else, and then basically what you can do to develop a virtual reality application is doing a bit of cleaning up. But if you start from scratch to develop a real BIM and then try to put in VR, then you will realize soon that you put too much information that you don't really need it. Yeah. And that was the the first encounter. And then it became my job here at Mass University because, uh, as I say every time, it's the, it's the technology that pay for my bills because mm-hmm. it's the things that I always teach here at Mass University together with many other digital technology in our undergrad and master program. And Pete, how did you get into world of BIM? Probably... Crikey, maybe 20 years ago when I was at building simulation modeling company before Autodesk at um, IES in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. And we were developing lots of analysis tools for green building design, for energy performance. And a lot of the models were starting to come in from Revit and other BIM packages. And we had a project there to basically make the import of those models as smooth as possible through either GBXML or IFC files. So IFC files are the standard kind of open BIM format, but GBXML is kind of like the equivalent for green building design. So generally in, in Revit, you can export your BIM model as GBXML or IFC. Mm. We were seeing both coming through, and year on year, it was becoming more important. You could see the adoption in the industry was, was kind of driving that as well. So... Long time ago. 
long time ago and 20 years ago, you were talking about importing data. And if I would list in interesting topics, importing data from BIM into other applications would be still my number one concern. I have a joke for Pete. Are you capable to see the BIM, BIM without IFC readers, like in the metrics, that you get used to read the code and then you see the building <laughs> without having any... <laughs> Are are you are you able to see the like the three dimensional building, but just looking at the code like in Matrix movie? Oh, <laughs> like the Matrix? No, I haven't quite, haven't quite quite achieved that level yet. No, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure the letters in the BIM code do not align into shapes of buildings. You know, <laughs> like in Matrix movies. What I say to my student: if you start having this kind of vision, that means that you need to see a good doctor. That means they've been working too much. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> However, I, I know some people who, who do that looking at FDS code, so it's achievable. Um, for, for me, the information part in the BIM is the most interesting one. And uh, I think many of us were doing BIM uh, or information modeling way before touching Revit. I mean, if you, if you have your AutoCAD model of your building and you name the layers by what they are, you've already did some information in there. And the information is growing the, the more advanced you go there. Yeah, yeah. you're giving us like what used to be the hybrid solution. The big difference, for instance, uh -huh. and it's one of the cases that I show always my student, if you draw a box in Autodesk, unless mm. you write the information, you are a window, the object doesn't know that it's a window. When you start using BIM, you have a set of objects that you using your project and you don't need to put the information, look, you're a window with this parameter. So you start using objects that they know what they are. They have already some self-defined parameters and you need just to change the parameters. And this makes life much easier later on if you want to automate the process of analyzing the drawing because you don't need a mm -hmm. human that goes there and starts reading, ah, this is a door. This looks like a door. This looks like a door. So we have three doors. You can just have a line of code and tell the software in BIM, find all the instances that are defined as a door. I don't know if it makes sense. It's mm -hmm. a super clear example, and probably Pete can expand on that. Yeah, I mean, essentially, if you think of AutoCAD as really good wireframe line drawing and basic polygons and triangles, it's a nice smooth package to use, but it is nowhere near as information-rich mm -hmm. as the BIM model. In BIM, the big difference for me is when you, for example, you if you just draw a wall, as soon as you draw that wall, when you draw the wall on the screen, inside the package, it knows that that wall is a brick wall. It's got a cavity. It's got uh, insulation on the back because you've chosen to start with a standard wall type. And as soon as you start drawing, it knows all of that information. You can change it because you can change the type of wall after the fact. But just right from the get-go, everything comes with information supplied. Uh, and that's the big mm -hmm. difference. And that's why it's been making so many inroads over the last 20 years into industry, because potentially it should make your life a lot easier when you start to connect that to other analysis packages. Because in theory, <laughs> when you go to another modeling package like FDS, mm -hmm. if FDS had a perfect IFC file importer, you wouldn't have to draw a new model again in FDS. You could just do your fire modeling because all the information or nearly all the information would have been brought in. It's just that that's been a slow process to come on board. 
And you're talking not about just transferring the three-dimensional geometry of my building. You're, you're talking about the thermal properties of my walls, the distribution of my fuel inside the model. Exactly. And we are talking now about the can of worms of BIM, interoperability. Yeah, it's a dream. It's a beautiful dream, but still a dream in a way. Well, eventually the world is moving in that direction. It's inevitable it will happen. It's just how soon and how widespread will it be? I think for Autodesk, at some point, you guys started developing own CFD code and own tools for modeling. So what was this in a way connected with this BIM revolution? The, the CFD team at, at Autodesk aren't part of the Revit team, uh, but I mean, obviously, they, they test out the connection. But the whole ethos at the moment in, in Revit is that every function which is written in the software generally is also made available in the API. Mm. So if anybody wants to come along and write their own little custom add-in, they can start to extract that information as well. Mm-hmm. Um, everything um, is quite a good policy that all of that functionality is open. Obviously, you need some coding uh, expertise to get into it. But it is possible, and I've seen a lot more students recently start to do that kind of thing. And in terms of interoperability, I've been helping coordinate working groups on enhancing the IFC standards for occupant movement modeling. Asim Siddiqui and Peter Lawrence at Greenwich University are halfway through upgrading the IFC standards for occupant movement modeling. And it's in the process. Reno, you want to add something? I want to say that uh, a key player has been uh, what is the role of governments in mm-hmm. different countries. Uh, because uh, in UK, I can say that in the US, uh, there has been a lot more going on because there was uh, uh, a mandate of, of in the use of BIM for many projects. There are other countries that are a bit slow, like unfortunately New Zealand, because we decide to use the policy, let's be kind and wait that the industry will uh, adjust and start using this technology if it's really worth using it. And so this has created for us a lot of delay in the implementation and in development of these tools. But I can tell you that there is a lot of startups and a lot of, it's not just a matter of a big company doing their efforts. There are a lot of small companies and small uh, groups that are making these big efforts to make BIM interoperability more and more more effective. Yeah, so the governments are pushing for BAM and many projects get specified BAM. But I, I really wondered at what extent the benefits of BIM really go into a construction project. I mean, outside of having this nice three-dimensional drawing and guess collision check is one important thing that really can save your life sometimes. And I've seen that happen already. Uh, so where else the benefits for the construction industry lie in, in putting all this additional information in the model? Or just model creation is easier. What, what's your, maybe that's a, that's also a thing. I, I'm not sure because I have, I'm not building my BIM models, like real models yet. Yeah, sure. In most of the commercial design areas and medium to large scale projects, the BIM models now kind of hosted on cloud and that centralized managed cloud service where the design team connect and draw the BIM data down is controlled and you can always rewind for history of updates, et cetera, et cetera. But particularly, everybody gets up to the minute access to the latest design. And you'll see more and more now in some more of the advanced built construction sites around the world, people with rugged tablets, iPads, et cetera, and it's starting to replace paper. So they're getting the latest drawings and the latest information updated time and time again. And that's the big change, I'd say. 
because it was always the case on, I was a construction engineer many years ago and you'd end up with this kind of concrete covered drawing. Uh, you'd be dusting off on site, which was probably three months out of date. <clears throat> now it's up to, you know, it's, it's possible to have that up to the minute synchronized, controlled, and they'll make changes rapidly and, and they can implement those on site pretty quickly. So it should get over some of those losses that come from having out of date things and also the gains that come from being able to update things straight away. Have you ever seen a revision cloud cut in uh, in concrete? Because I did, <laughs> you know, like uh, the the revision cloud you put in AutoCAD to to <laughs> highlight detail or something. I I've seen that literally cut in a slab. So sometimes too much information <laughs> is too much. Info- <laughs> sometimes too much information is too much information. But I guess in BIM, when you're in a three D mode, it's pretty obvious. It's a revision cloud, not uh, an outline of a hole <laughs> in in the slab, and. Reno, how how do you see benefits? How do you sell BIM to your students? Why do you tell them it's important outside of you being able to finance your bills? <laughs> I sell it to my students, telling them if you know it, you're going to find a job easily. <laughs> For the, the people in the industry, I tell that one of the key features of BIM is collaboration. But also, if you want to see from a drawing point of view... There are also some uh, nice videos that you can uh, find on YouTube in which there is the possibility to draw exactly the same things using AutoCAD uh, and uh, Revit. And you see that also from a drawing point of view, the process speed up. But it's not just about construction because, yes, it can help, as Pete said, in the construction process, it can give a, a fundamental contribution in cost estimation, project management, avoiding clash and stuff like that. But the fact that you have a BIM information, that means that you have an instruction manual for the building. So it's like the build is done. Now you can give this instruction manual to the owner of the building and facility management. And that's what we are trying to push here in our program also to educate facility management on the use of BIM. Because if you see the real cost of a building, it's not the construction cost. Is the operation cost of the time life of the building. And if you start using BIM tool to make assessment and use it as an information tool to keep up all the assets that you have in place, it can become a really powerful tool. Do we do it in real life? Is the answer. Probably not, not much. And I can tell you that there is a lot of education that we need to do because we have been focusing quite a lot at this stage on the construction sector to educate people on the use of BIM. And I think we need to put... Now, a lot more emphasis and education on the facility management side. So it's literally, here is the keys to your new building and here is the digital twin, which you can play a, a bit with. Exactly. Find anything you need to know about your building inside, right? And you're basically telling us also what is the other advantage, because then you can also connect the information with sensor and have real-time information. And this can become a really big thing, even for safety. Mm-hmm. Because if we have uh, real-time data, and Pete was doing it with Daniel Nilsson project like that, uh, using sensor to estimate, for instance, how many people you have in a building or in a specific room, all this information that can be really useful for facility management point of view can become really important also when you need to rescue someone. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder now how fire comes into play with BAM. Like, what would be the benefit of fire for fire engineer? Let, let, and let's put modeling aside. Like, let's put FDS and evacuation modeling aside for for a second, because here would be some obvious benefits to to collaborate on on BAM models. But outside of that, if if you're just 
preparing a fire safety strategy for your building, if you're just responsible for, for determining the basic safety functions of your building, maybe you are just interested if your building is compliant with the building code. Like to, to what extent BIM comes into play there? It's a good point, Wojciech, because when we were looking at uh, implementing evacuation modeling, advanced simulation in, in, in Revit and testing different things out at certain times, we were chatting to customers and asked what they wanted. First thing they said was travel distance calculations. Mm. Of course, the fancy 3D modeler okay. in me, I go, oh, really? <laughs> but actually, what pays the bills? And it's the prescriptive regulations on, what, 90 plus percent of buildings. So it's easy to get carried away with the advanced 3D modeling sometimes and forget what pays the bread and butter bills on many consultants' doorsteps. So mm. the first thing that we did was implement path of travel distance calculator in Revit. And then uh, we mm -hmm. built on that for uh, when the pandemic hit to do um, social distance tools as well. So you could lay out your seating positions and corridors mm -hmm. with one-way traffic streams and start to plan out those things. So we did that pretty quickly in response to, again, customers' needs. So it's mm -hmm. the geometry's there to do your distance calculations. You can now plot A to B and calculate the travel distances for your prescriptive regulations. But also there are automated code compliance checkers becoming available. Uh, I think Briab have one in mm -hmm. Scandinavia. There's a company in... We have one in New Zealand as well. Yep. Uh, there's also energy code compliance ones. Energy modeling is the other hat that I've had for the last 20 years in terms of green building design. So there's enough information there to fulfill many of the criteria for prescriptive regulations checks. Now, often each prescriptive regulation is going to require very particular information for the you know, local country rules, but at least you're starting from an information-rich point and it should reduce the heavyweight amount of data you have to put in to your prescriptive regulations checks. Hopefully there's enough information there to give you a good start that it's not quite as painful going through all that process of checking all the prescriptive regulation checks. You know, from my personal experience, we've participated in some really large um, projects and at some point we, we felt like we are the source of information. Like if electrician guys change some things, the fireman knew about it because they had to go to him. So if, let's say, the lighting people or ventilation people wanted to know what the electricians uh, changed, they didn't go to electricians, they came to us. Or when the, the ventilation people changed something in terms of, of ducting and so so on, we, we were responsible to transfer that knowledge to the architectural team to say, okay, you know, here you have to move something because now you will be out of distance, out of space, you're like... You know, there are these levels of areas of the building that you're allowed to build in as, as a single file compartment and so on and so on. So we were monitoring this compliance. And I guess once you have these automated compliance checkers, the, the distance checkers, whatever in, in, inside your model working, automated, whatever decision you take, wherever in the building, you're capable of, of almost automatically checking the consequences of that decision. Absolutely. And that does not sound very sexy until you try to uh, commission a building and suddenly your path of distance is one centimeter longer than allowed by law. And <laughs> I don't know what you have to do. You wait for winter, so everything uh, shrinks a little bit. But these things happen in real life, especially in terms of building distances, separation distances, yep. and stuff like that. So, so these automated checkers can be like superb tools. And uh, Rino, I, I saw on, on LinkedIn some videos you were playing with like automated layout yeah. generators and stuff like that. 
And immediately when I saw that, into my mind came the episode with Benjamin Ralph. He's now at Foster's. And he said that the world of architecture is a world of rapid prototyping. Like, give me 10 layouts. Okay, I like layout one, two, and three. Give me 10 of each more again and again and again. And and, and there's no place for, for performance-based fire engineering when we, you have to go to 100 iterations of, of your layout within one day. So, so I guess suddenly the fact you're automated with everything means this rapid prototyping is, is possible. Yeah, that's another big advantage of what is going to be probably the future of uh, designing. It is called generative design. And we actually played last year a bit, me, Pete, and my colleagues, and Feng, about the possibility to use this paradigm if we want to apply it for fire safety. What will be the steps required if we want to apply generative design specifically of fire purpose? If you download now one of the latest version of Revit, you have generative design tools that they show you some case study about, or you can have a different layout of desk or different layout, depending on the objective that you have. For instance, the decks can be placed and programmed in a way that you optimize the view from all the windows you have around, or you can have a COVID guidelines that tells you that the, the inter mm. distance, and then the software is capable to create a different iteration and show you what will be location in different design solution. But in our case, we start thinking, what if the goal is uh, fire safety? What are the steps that we need to do? All we need, what we need to do to connect the BIM information with the existing software and try to create multiple iteration. And from evacuation point of view, you can think like it's easy to do 100,000 100, 100, iteration of an evacuation simulation. If you have a really advanced CFD model, that's not easy any longer. So that's the, the things we discussed in a letter to the editor that we sent last year to Fire Technology. All the challenge that we need to face in the future and what will be possible, putting it in a joke to get rid of Fire Engineer. Like mm -hmm. let the computer become the Fire Engineer of the future. But of course, there will be always a Fire Engineer because you need to set up boundaries and optimal solution and verify that eventually the solution does make sense because it com a computer is not capable to understand eventually if something is really good or completely dumb. Yeah, we've had the situation where sometimes you engage with engineers and you start to describe about how you're automating some of these processes. And some of the initial reactions is a little scared because obviously <laughs> if they spend currently a week you know, doing consultancy on a particular size of design, and you say can you, you can automate it and get it done in two days, then there's a little bit of fear that they're going to be able to build less. But actually what it happens is it means that they can try out a much richer set of options for the client. So that's a big message that because the holy grail of this process is that all your information is in the BIM model, and you have a rapid and solid connection to your analysis packages, and you've got the round trip. With that round trip of data, you don't have to keep remodel building every time. You can run many different options and simulations and try, you know, try and try again. It means that all of a sudden, whereby you would just test out one single design, you can test out 5, 10, 15, potentially, if that connection is solid. And that's where one of the big gains is, that all of a sudden, as a fire engineer, your life should become a bit more interesting in terms of some of those projects, not always the most interesting. The mundane tasks, which can be automated, could be automated, 
And then you can do more of the interesting stuff and hopefully come up with a safer design as well. I think we're never in a point where a market for fire safety engineers is, is fully saturated. The amount of new projects being opened every week, even if I look at the skyline of Warsaw, the amount of new projects popping every now and then due to the demands of the market, even in, in, in the post-COVID times, it, it's insane. And we, we are never nowhere close to producing the fire safety engineers, the capable and smart and, and, and well-trained fire safety engineers who understand fire safety engineering to the level where of the demands of the of the building industry. And especially that we seem to be generating problems quicker than we generate solutions. So I, I don't think we're we're running out of problems anywhere soon. And um, this being episode 60 something ish of my podcast is a statement to that. I'm I'm nowhere close to running of interesting topics to, to talk in here because we are just very, very good at generating them. Uh, you've mentioned that the Holy Grail would be having the, all the information in, in BIM model and then seamless integration with everything else around it. So yeah, let's open this kind of worms and, and, and let's go into this seamless integration. And for me, as someone who's building CFD models, this is the painful part. It, it's not easy. And I guess we can talk a lot of time on why it's not easy, but I, I, I think the best way to summarize that is that building your numerical model, your, your model as an engineer, it's a process which has a purpose. I'm building a, a model of my building for a certain purpose. And I understand that purpose. I know that if I mistake some dimension by one centimeter and I'm modeling a, a hundred meter long wall, I know it is irrelevant to, to my model. I know that if my doorknob has an extremely fancy shape, I, I understand it has zero impact on my uh, flow field around the door. And this is what I mean about, you know, purposeful modeling. I, I understand the purpose. So I'm, I understand the level of generalization I can put in my model and still receive the, the full information out of it. However, when you transport information from BIM, there is no, uh, at, at least at my understanding, there is no easy way to tell me, okay, import me uh, everything, but when you're importing doors, you know, leave the doorknobs alone. <laughs> I don't want them. And this suddenly the problem is not building my model. It's reducing the information to the smallest amount that forms the model. And I found this really, really tough. Am I alone in this or this is the, the world we live in? No, no, it's a, it's a known issue. <clears throat> because at the moment, when you export your IFC file from a BIM package, it in general it includes all the detail. Mm -hmm. And then the receiving package has to spend time filtering out the information it doesn't mm -hmm. want. And that slows down the whole process. Um, I think if we look potentially at kind of customized IFC exporters, which I think is probably the way mm. forward. Then, for example, when we're exporting things for analytical modeling, like fire safety or energy mm. modeling, CFD, that kind of thing, what needs to happen is there needs to be a level of detail switch somewhere in the system to turn off some of the detailed ironmongery, the detailed mm. wall frames on the windows, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And now the, the IFC exporter for Revit is open source and can be accessed and customized. The uh, master's student uh, supervised at Lund um, University Nazim 
he wrote a customized add-in which exported the model data and added some information, sent it into Pathfinder with um, some good success because mm-hmm. we worked with Pathfinder at the same time and they enhanced some of the import. And that was a great prototype of showing what's possible. And we're hoping to build on that in the future as a principle, uh, I would say. I think that's probably one of the important things to tackle as one of the next steps is to have a level of detailed or a customized IFC exporter which strips out the unnecessary information mm. before you send it to disk. Because it, it for those big, big projects, it can take quite a long time to import those IFC models. Uh, unnecessary is one word, but... CFD model can work with unnecessary data. It's just how much more you spend to solve for that. I think the most interesting way would be to import BIM into something like a zone model, like a BRISC or CFEST, you know, because there is no irrelevant data there. Your compartment is your compartment. That's the minimum amount of data. It's just the dimension and materials on the walls. That's the the, the smallest package you transport. And essentially, when you're building your CFD model, it would be closer to the CFAS model than closer to the to the BIM model, you know, because it is just a slightly enhanced geometry, but not really that much enhanced. You don't want it to, it to be that much enhanced geometry. Reno, you've mentioned in the beginning of the talk that while building model, you take your doors, put it in your model, and the model knows it's a door. You put a window in, knows it's a window. Maybe what we need is a, like a, a multiverse of doors. You place one doors and uh, the model knows that for this level of detail, the door is like this. But if I triggered the switch here, the door is, is like just a rectangle with uh, with the name door on it. And and it, and uh, it, it's the same door at the same location. And, and then this layer could be exported. And, and it's something that has been already defined, as Peter was saying. We have already definition level of details in, in the BIM. It's just that probably we didn't spend enough time to implement the possibility to extract until up to a certain level of information. And I understand your discussion on fire. I think instead it will be really interesting and probably revolutionary the possibility to have so much three-dimensional uh, information for evacuation mm-hmm. point of view instead, because humans don't behave mm-hmm. like smoke or fire. And uh, if you think back in the day, we have been always oversimplified that a building is like a layer and all the information of the geometry is just on a layer. And uh, the information is always, uh, the interaction of the agents with the building is always conceiving a flat surface. And now we have the possibility to have agents that are capable to view in a 3D model and start having 3D information. And this is part, for instance, once again, of the job mm-hmm. that Pete, for instance, is doing with uh, many other universities, Lund University, University of Canterbury, on the possibility to develop 3D models that start getting rid of this flat idea, even in terms of fundamental diagrams and the concept of density that used to be really good 20, 30 years ago. But now we need to start seeing what's the real deal, what is the real reason moving people in a certain way and driving their interaction with each other. And back in the day, it was like Simulex is developed by Pete. It was a good attempt with what was the technology when he was young, probably 20 kilos ago. Mm. <laughs> I'm kidding in which he was developing uh, something on on what was available back then, a flat surface in which you were supposed to put agents. Now we can actually start moving in a three-dimensional evacuation model, and BIM will give us for free all this kind of information that we might need. I say we might need because we don't know how much of 3D information we actually process in our brain when we move in a crowd. Probably we also in that case oversimplify and 
the information that we need in a model because probably humans, they don't start seeing too much details. They don't even care in their movement about the details. Probably we simplify in our brain when we move the perception of the building. But that, that perception, that decision-making process, that would be the role of the evacuation model software. Now, the role of BIM would be to support it with very detailed information about that the building, maybe even the occupants in the building, layers of obstacles. Just to give you a, a simple idea, uh, let's assume to have an agent that need to navigate mm-hmm. in a space. And back in the day, if you want to set up a, the possibility of an agent to see, to check w- what exits are visible, if you're doing it in a flat surface, it's going to be really challenging to represent three-dimensional space on a flat surface. Instead, if you have already a 3D model and you set that height of an agent, you know already if it's going to be capable to see an evacuation sign, an exit. And this is just from a simple perspective point of view. Mm-hmm. But back in the day, if we were oversimplifying, and there was the problem that we couldn't push too much and even investigate or bother to investigate what's the human perception in three-dimensional space. And all this can be computed in a real, more realistic evacuation model. Mm. And I guess this is the step forward that Peter probably wants to do compared with this PhD work is to get rid of the two-dimensional space and start considering the actual deal of evacuation. Yeah, yeah Peter, moving into uh, GHD movement strategies. Uh, sounds like you're moving into the direction uh, Rina said, so so maybe share us a, a bit about your future and your plans, because I have a feeling they very well connect to what has just been discussed. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, actually, the current project I'm working on is uh, a thing called Woonity, which is the wildfire okay, yeah. uh, urban interface evacuation modeling. So um, mm-hmm. in connection with Jonathan Valkvist's work at Lund. So creating an interface to, to, to drive that. It's not related to BIM, but um, it is drawing in multiple sources of information to do advanced modeling of, of fire and evacuation just on a, lot, on a wider scale. Uh, in terms of where I think ultimately things want to be heading, as, as Reno said, you know, traditional evacuation modeling has been on, on two dimensions. Obviously, the BIM model has three-dimensional rich information. Uh, the possibility is to automate the geometry and additional properties like signage, etc., coming into mm-hmm. the evacuation models. And then further than that, you know, further downstream, it should be possible to look at line of sight from where a person is standing in the room to which signs they can see. And that's more of a three-dimensional problem because it could be in relation to any partitions that are in your way, doors, walls in different positions. Whereas, you know, in two dimensions, it might look fine. You can now start to get to the point whereby, if that connection is good, you've got the information about the signs and and, and different stimuli, that you can start to work out the motivations of people um, and actually start to use another step again above the basic geometry. Now, the cool things that I've been always thinking about is that we can recycle a lot of AI algorithms that were developed for games mm-hmm. because a lot of visualization and perception were already developed for game to develop AI, for instance, of shooters that need to shoot the player. So they mm-hmm. kind of have this possibility to perceive space. And uh, of course, they weren't based on real data, but now we have the possibility to recycle some old algorithms, implemented some data, and data is the other kind of worm in my field, generate new data and generate new data. 
to develop models that represent the actual reality of uh, Evacui. Well, one thing from my own space, because I'm, I'm currently um, doing a grant with the University of Wuppertal, Professor Lucas Arnold, on the visibility of evacuation signs. And we are very interested in lighting conditions because that, that's critical to the perception of the, of the sign. For example, the traditional model of gin, uh, if I'm not wrong, it, it is estimated at 80 lux lighting in your, in your building. No one takes that into account that in different lighting conditions, you'll have different outcomes and different perception of, of the reality, even without smoke. And, and when smoke comes into question, the complexity is at the ridiculous level. So it's very interesting if now in BIM, you could not only just transfer from one layer to another layer, but add multiple layers at the same time. You know, imagine if I had my smoke calculation combined with a lightning simulation of my room. So I understand what are the lighting conditions now, what will be the lighting conditions when I cut the power to my building, how will that change the perception of the signs? And these two sources of information go into evacuation model where the occupants, as you said, will, would be able to determine the path of view and, and understand if they can see the sign or not. Right, and another thing that we haven't discussed yet is the possibility to develop a training solution for buildings. Okay, yeah. Because if you have this information, we can actually potentially have the possibility to change the behavior of future evacuation because now we can start developing BIM-based training tools in which you don't need to actually run a drill. You need just to have a BIM model implemented on a, on the cloud and say, okay, this is your office. Those are the instructions that you need to follow. You can have a game that actually tells you walking in the digital building, what's the closest exit, and in case there is a fire or a hazard close to the closest exit, what are the other options? And... It's a lot of can can be done for simulating, but also to to educate people on fire safety and show them what are the consequences of good choice or bad choice, not just in terms of evacuation, but even fire fighting, because uh, we have been developing a lot of prototyping here, mm. even to show them the consequences of using the wrong fire extinguisher in fire in a building, and this can become really customized because if you develop the BIM for constructing the building, why not recycle this information, develop something that can be used? And to be honest, it doesn't take that much time today to get the BIM and convert it in fire safety evacuation drills. It used to be a nightmare six years ago. Now we have all the tools to do it in a couple of days. In a, in a virtual reality uh, setting, right? It can be a virtual reality in terms of immersive virtual reality. So yeah. you put a headset, but it can even be on a desktop. Like a, like a shooter game. on a. And from a safety point of view, we are trying to identify if it's really worth to put people in a virtual reality headset or it's enough to do a training, to, to have a training in a three-dimensional space just using a, a desktop that is more affordable and accessible to everyone. Mm-hmm. Even better if this application is on the web. Ah. And that's the things that we are trying to do. So you don't need even to install the software. You just browser to a specific software. And there is a lot of challenge to put it on a server. I've been doing something like that. Crash every <laughs> every two days. So there are a lot of challenges that needs but, to be done from a technology point of view. But I think we are getting but, there. But for that, there's, there will be also a technical limitation that the building changes. So the BIM model would have to be up to date. It's going to be perfectly up to date 
till the last day of construction when uh, someone is being paid to to do that and then uh, check the, of what's being delivered. But once the, the, goes, the, the BIM model is passed to the administrator of the building, the administrator must be conscious. And I can tell you that for big infrastructure and airports, I can remember it was one of the major airports, there is a team that is always there updating the BIM information. Yeah. If you care about the information, you need to have a team that is looking after it. And uh, that's a role that should be in the future in big building, a BIM manager taking count mm. of all the possible change if we see the value in having this updated information. Uh, I, I think airport would be an easy thing to manage. I think a sports arena would be a very easy thing to manage. I think an, a large office building would be a mess. Because in many uh, like owners of the flats would have quite big autonomy in managing their own spaces. Like in Poland, we bah. from the fire safety perspective, mm. we would we would often deliver the building in shell and core, like with just open plan offices and whatever you do at the office. I mean, you have your own fire expert, you have your own responsibilities. It's not that you're allowed to like store crude oil in your flat. But still, there's a level of, of autonomy. You have to arrange your own space. And this transfer between the lease company and the owner of the whole building responsible for the, for the global safety, that, that's a difficult interface. No, definitely. No, I was saying that one of the, the reasons to incentivate the upgrade of information is insurance. Okay. Because if we can have, think about the future, if you have an upgraded information, that means that you have more cons understand what's happening in that building. And if there are uh, people that go and uh, cut and make holes in uh, fire cells, you know that they are there. And this can have a lot of implication in when you need to insure and uh, make an uh, insurance on assets. Like we can think that in the future, if you have uh, upgraded information and you keep this, you might get some discount in that. I'm just mm. speculating. You're right, Reno. I mean, um, I said the Holy Grail was to get the all the rich data from your BIM model into the design packages. But actually, the, the additional side of that is also that the model grows and lives with the building. So, you know, it start off as an early architectural stage that it develops as the level of detail of modeling progresses through design stages. So you go to your planning control, you get permission to build, and then the construction process starts. And in theory, every single step of the way, if as changes are made, even, you know, after the design has been given the go-ahead, then further change is going to get made during the construction process, inevitably, as somebody works out that something doesn't work and something else doesn't work. And then it gets to commissioning stage, and then the commissioning happens. And ideally, all every single, single step of the way, there should be a living model of the building, updated, you know, as permits come on track, people go in, maybe three years later, they go ahead and add new openings between floors in buildings to get new central heating systems in or whatever, or sprinklers. Ideally, that would all be stored in one central model. And and that was one of the things highlighted in the Grenfell report when they, they looked at what went wrong, that exactly that, you know, what was happening was, apart from the original design, other stuff happened since the conception of the design, retrofit, changes, etc., etc. So one very single thing which caused the loss of life, it's a combination of factors. You know, the cladding was a problem for sure. 
but other things happened mm. along the way that people got in, you know, it's a traditional construction process where somebody goes in, they get a permit to do something, they make the work, they do the changes, but it's not coordinated and logged. And the trouble is in the world of, of, of fire safety engineering and physical modeling, you change one thing, you change something else and it has an impact somewhere else. Mm. And unless it's all coordinated, stuff gets missed. If you want to really don't have nightmare tonight, think that we are applying the same technology also on city level. Mm. In fact, we talk also about city information model and the challenge is also there to digitalize what wasn't digital in the past and to how to keep this information updated and uh, in a big version of a digital twin of a city. I know that there are millions of pounds that were lately invested in a research project looking after the roads at the University of Cambridge, Mm -hmm. if I'm not wrong just focusing on the digitalization of the road infrastructure in the UK. So it's a, it's a really big deal. It's a big challenge, but it's the things that keep us alive, I guess, as a researcher, try to, to tackle this really challenge. Uh, when we talk about this maintaining the BIM, uh, I have one last thing to, to ask, and that's accessibility. If I run an architectural company or even a, I specialize fire safety engineering, and this is the tool that pays my bills. I would probably pay for it and, and buy it. And let, let's face it, it's, it's not a super cheap solution. I'm, it's a specialized piece of software. But if I'm an owner of a medium-sized building, I'm not sure if I wanted to purchase licensing and everything to manage my thing. And also, if... I'm not in an, a rich country, uh, I'm, I'm somewhere else, and yet I would love to benefit from this technology. What extends the open access or, or, or the freeware side of this world is growing? Is there even such a thing, or is it fully around large companies like Autodesk? Before we go, it was really interesting to find out that you can actually buy tokens and it costs you like three euros per day to to use Revit. So maybe that's a solution in a way. But I I don't think that solves this wide accessibility idea. You know, I I come from Poland. We have a way to solve that. It's called piracy. It's not being used that much in here anymore. (laughs) But (laughs) is there an open access scene on the the beam industry? I mean, IFC is is something very universal, right? Yeah, I mean, there are some free BIM packages, which are open source. Uh, I mean, obviously, I was invested in Revit, so I don't know that much mm-hmm. about them. But I do know they, they exist. There's certainly a lot of free BIM viewers. Okay. So if someone's produced a BIM model, yeah. then you can get it. But there are BIM free BIM authoring tools around. Some, I mean, SketchUp, for example, I don't, know if, I don't think it's, it's free in certain situations. It's not really what I would call a regular BIM tool. Um, it's got a limited amount of information. Um, but it is referred to as a BIM tool sometimes. You can get some information from it. But there are other free free BIM tools. Mm-hmm. Generally, BIM is free to most universities and academic institutions, at least to train and test on. But the thing is, if, if the long-term future here is to have your, your building model stored centrally and hosted, someone's got to pay for the bills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because if ultimately, even if it's just the hosting and the administration costs for centralizing and storing the, making sure it's secure, et cetera, et cetera, Somebody's got to pay for it. Uh, but I think probably the secret in pushing that forward is, as has been in the past, the government implementing BIM mandates. I mean, at the moment, many countries around the world, I think US was the first, UK, several, you know, various European countries, it's happening in other countries around the world, is that all, all government projects have to be designed with BIM packages 
what probably needs to happen next for the proper digital twin modelling to occur is that governments start to need to mandate that not only is a BIM model required for the design, but it's also required for the monitoring as well. Uh, and, and I mean, there's, there's an additional cost, but then it depends what value you put on the losses that you can get by not doing that. And then this specification is used usually in terms of the BIM level or or some specific IFC requirements, not saying you, you have to use uh, Revit or something. So, so, so that's good. That that's um, that allows everyone to, to participate in the revolution. And I guess more people yes. more people participate, the cheaper the cost of technology is, the more widespread it is, the more possibilities you will have to, to, to also cater for the needs of, of, of those who may have difficulties accessing, mostly costs related, because let's face it, I mean... It, you also need not your usual laptop computer to open a five gigabytes Revit model. It's it's not gonna really work well. Takes a while. Yeah, Reno, you have a good computer. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it's my excuse to ask my boss for a good computer. <laughs> and then you and excuse. then you mine Ethereum. I know that <laughs> for sure. Uh, nah. Okay. In the good good old time, yes. No, no. <laughs> Okay, guys, uh, that, that was uh, interesting to to talk about BIM a bit. One thing we didn't do is is to define BIM. I'll try to do that in the introduction. It's going to end up horribly, and you're gonna spam me with emails that you're disgusted by my attempts on that. Maybe you want to you, maybe you want to define at the end after all of this. Pete, go try define BIM. So, uh, I mean, essentially. BIM is not just drawing. It is right at the start. When you start to create your design, you do it in three dimensions from the get-go, and inherently everything has physical properties. So you're not just drawing lines in a model. You're actually creating three-dimensional physical objects as you draw right from the start, as soon as the first wall goes down. And from that point on, the model, as you build it up, has all of that information in it and potentially available to be used for other packages. It's a multi-parameter mm. 3D space rather than just a series of dimensional polygons, which is your traditional view of AutoCAD. Yeah. Fair summary, Rina? Yeah, no, I can pretend to be smart and read the definition. Ah, don't. I'll cut this out. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, the... If I should do a definition or, or BIM, what I it's in my mind as a BIM as a clear definition, like one shot is a smart database. It's a smart database with three-dimensional visualization. And there are a lot of keywords like 3D parametric model, it can be associated with it, and process as well, because it helps in the in the process of construction. It's a lot of words. That, there are a lot of keywords that can be associated with BIM, but the things that deeply I believe that is the key feature of BIM is the fact that it's a really comprehensive database or instruction manual of a building. It's like smart database with a three-dimensional interface. <laughs> it's a smart database that you can walk through. That's a that's a nice feature we have. And if you want, it's like Lego manual. Lego manual. <laughs> it tells you when in place and you, you have pretty much the information unless someone changed the blocks of what has been put there. If you want a really a super easy interpretation of what is even a database. So you know how many pieces of red block you had, how many pieces of blue box you had. And they are not just blocks there that build a wall. They, they have information about what they mm. are. That, that block can be a door, that can block can be a window. 
So it's much easier to go back and say, ah, let's see how many doors of this feature we had and what will be the cost and the tendering process for this specific door. Yeah, and a good demonstration of what you get from drawing in BIM or creating a building in BIM is uh, probably a good example is if you use something like Unity Reflect, which is a games engine viewer of your BIM model, and pretty much automatically you get something which looks really quite photorealistic out of the box. And all of a sudden, the kind of light bulb goes on and you realize all of that stuff was in the BIM model. You know, the color of the blocks, the the surface roughness, all of that stuff was there. It's just that because you're viewing it in sketch mode, you're just not aware of it. But it's it's all there. Don't do my mistakes because I tried it, the 30 days trial and put my credit card detail and then I forgot the trial and then (laughs) I was... (laughs) On my credit card, there were Unity fees of one thousand six hundred New Zealand dollars. I had to talk. <laughs> I had to talk to my wife and my university if they could. <laughs> so don't do that mistake yeah, because yes, you might yeah. end up sleeping on the couch that night. <laughs> Maybe just play the video on YouTube first. It's a lot cheaper. Yeah, yeah it's a lot cheaper. <laughs> Okay, everyone should should try and and play because that's the future. And if you don't want to be ex- excluded from the future, you you'll have to learn some of this. Either you like it or not. Eventually, so why not starting now, guys? Thank you very much for this super interesting discussion on on BIM and FireSafe and just in as a tool in construction process. It was um, huge pleasure to have you in the Fire Science Show and uh, looking forward to the future of BIM and uh, the future of you <laughs> in fire safety. Because both things looks looks exciting. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Great, thanks. Good talking to you, Wojciech. And that's it. You know, sometimes when I recall the episode and I have a discussion, I know it's going to be a good one. I know it's going to be a popular one. And I have such a feeling about this BIM episode because I really enjoyed it. I mean, I don't necessarily enjoy transferring data from BIM to my CFD models, which is a hell of a pain. But I certainly enjoy talking about the future of civil engineering and fire safety and all the exciting things that can happen if we can make this work. Really, this is a beautiful technology. On paper, it's amazing. It's improving. Every day, it's better. And as you heard, Pete, in his days in Autodesk, when they've received a request they were implementing it, there are people working on exporters, on other add-ins, that will help us achieve what we want from this software without the pain that we may have today. So it's developing, it's there, it's growing. If you want it to be better, maybe just talk with these guys, tell them what we need. And uh, I have a feeling it's going to be great. I mean, already we, in my office, for last two years, we have been switching more and more into Revit and BIM importing and working with architects like they like it. And it's good for our business. It's good for the discussions that we have. I certainly appreciate the fact that the model is up to date and I don't have to send an email every time I start working with my model. Is this the newest version? So yeah, I I guess there's more advantages than disadvantages. And annoying features, they're being improved, they're being worked on. Eventually, they'll be removed. I'm really looking forward to this level of detail switch in Revit. If they can make it work, it will be brilliant and it will solve so many of the issues we we have with this technology today. So absolutely looking forward to the future. And I'm very, very happy to have had this conversation with Pete and Reno and 
Guys, thank you so much. It, it was really nice to learn BIM from you. So that's it for today, guys. I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I did. I mean, if you're still listening, I guess that is the case. As usual, I'm looking forward to meet you here next Wednesday. Cheers. This was the Fire Science Show. Thank you for listening and see you soon.